Some years ago, back in 2000, in the state of Virginia, there was a man, uh, his name is this, it's Coolidge Winsett. He uh, had quite an experience. And imagine, just put yourself in this place. He endured three days in the bottom of an outhouse pit. Now what happened was, he was uh, paralyzed on one side of his body, he walked with a, a crutch and, and a cane and, uh, and a walker at times, and he had gone out to the outhouse behind his house and got in, and the floor actually collapsed. And he found himself five feet under, down just waist deep in sludge for three days. Now imagine that today. Some of you are saying, I don't want to imagine that today, or any day for that matter. Imagine the stench, imagine the yuck, imagine the just overwhelming feeling of being alone, isolated, with no one seemingly hearing your calls for help. This is what he had to say about the experience. They interviewed him. He says, I tell you what, it was hard to get one breath down there. Uh, 75 years of age, by the way, I didn't mention that. A day after being rescued, this was what happened, a mail carrier came by and realized that the mail had been gathering up at, in, his, in his mailbox, went up to the house, couldn't find him anywhere, and then saw his crutch leaning against the outhouse, and that's what gave him a clue. Um, when he approached, the mail carrier is named Jimmy Jackson, he says, I found no sign of him, got there, and he said, I heard a faint sound like somebody trying to holler, Jackson said. Uh, Winsett then said that uh, what happened was, he said, down it went. When I got in that outhouse, he was recalling the whole situation. He says, down it went, and it took me with it, he said. I thought it was an earthquake, and then I realized I was where I was at. I'd done a lot of hollering, but nobody couldn't hear me. <laughs> Three days, nobody listening. Oh, to be in a cesspool, to be in a pit of despair. You want to talk about despair. You want to talk about stench. You want to talk about ugliness, being covered, poop. And yet, you know what, folks? It happens more often than we realize. We've been learning already as we started on Ash Wednesday with a, a song that is all about repentance, a psalm that, that sets up a horrendous situation. And you want to talk about being wasted. How about being over your head in cesspool, sludge? So was the case with David. As we recall, David had, had been discovered to be an adulterer, had, had been discovered to be a liar, had been discovered to be a murderer, among many other things that plagued his life as a man after God's own heart, God's chosen one, the king of, of Israel, God's people. We're looking to David as a one who would lift up righteousness and faith in Almighty God, and here he is as one who has committed adultery, blasphemous uh, adultery in, in front of people and his servants and even utilizing their help in his, his plan of covering it all up. And Nathan the prophet goes and tells him how it is and David is convicted of his sin. For the first time, he's fully realizing the stench of it all and how dirty his life has truly become. Talk about being in a pit of despair. Turn to this, 
Because as the psalm goes on at the second part of verse 1, we dwelt on the verse 1 and 2 and on Wednesday, but David goes on to pour out his heart before the Lord. He says, according to your great compassion, he says, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. As we meditate on those words today, some come to mind as you think this through. Because maybe you come today and you're waist deep over your head in a cesspool with no hope. You're longing to be cleansed. You're longing to be refreshed. You know your life is a stench. And maybe it's only to yourself. You know how badly it stinks. Maybe people in your own family don't realize it. And you think, what if it gets out? And you're living in that despair of a secret life. Or maybe it's out there. And that cess, you find it everywhere. It doesn't seem to go away. You can't get rid of the smell. Where do you go? David calls out to God. And I want to remind you as we dive a little deeper into this is that while a man in Virginia calls out for help and there seemingly is no one, when David calls out against all odds, we find out God is very near and he's right there hearing his prayer, hearing his plea, hearing his call for help. He's there to rescue. He's there to cleanse. According to your great compassion, David knows God is a God of compassion. You know, blot out my transgressions. If you've ever blotted something out, do you know what that is? Maybe if you had a carpet stain before and you take a rag and, and you take it and, and you blot it out and, and basically trying to take the stain and remove it from one thing to another. David's calling out God saying, please blot out my transgression. Kind of intriguing to me. Hadn't caught it until I was researching it a little more. Notice all the different words he uses for his sin. In fact, he uses three different expressions, very similar. There's transgressions, there's iniquity, and there's the word sin. And all of them are very related, though very different words in Hebrew. Um, you know, there's, there's a sense in the transgression of, of breaking a trust or, or crossing a line. And, and David's calling out, you know, forgive me for my transgressions and this wickedness of, of turning my back on Almighty God and, and the cess that's been created in that and the mess that he's left with. And he says, calling out for my iniquity, that, that which I'm truly guilty of. And the verdict is very clear. My iniquity, it rests on me and that guilt and the shame that comes with it, as well as the sin of missing the mark of God's intention in his life. He calls out to God, rescue me, cleanse me, wash away all my iniquity and that which is always before me. He says, I know it. You know, a lot of times we can live in denial. You know, that it's more than just a river in Egypt, right, as they say. Denial is a very real thing for a lot of people. We, we pretend, we mask it, we don't want to think about how deep in the sludge we are. We go about our life and try to pretend it's not there. We try to use as much cologne and perfume to cover up the smell. We try to dress up and cover up the stench and the ugliness and the dirt. And you know, inside, we know who we are. We know what we've done. We know what we're capable of. In our thoughts, words, and deeds, or in activity, 
of not following through when God leads us. And a God who comes among his people to remind us it's time to turn to him. A God who comes to refresh us from the stench. You know, David does. But I find this kind of interesting. If you know his story and, and what happens next, and, and, you know, and a lot of times what we do is we, we race to the end and say, okay, if God comes and refreshes us, and if I confess my sin before him, then everything in my circumstance is going to be just fine. God's going to work it out. He owes that to me now. Oh, wait a minute. You ever thought that? When we're spiritually immature and, and we, we say to God, okay, I've confessed my sin. I'm broken. Now, now get fix it. Make everything fine. And maybe you've been there and you realize that sometimes, though God spiritually, theologically brings the cleansing and the washing, and we're going to get more into that, there can be realities and consequences in an earthly way for what we've done. A marriage gets broken, and the pieces are hard to put together. Maybe they never are. Maybe the trust is broken with a son or a daughter or a parent. Maybe at work, that offense and that, that lie and the cover-up, it gets exposed, and you never really truly find yourself in the same place in that position. Maybe there's other ways that we realize the consequences. Sin is, is an ugly, messy thing. Now, for David, as he confesses this, and the reality is that, that Bathsheba is pregnant with a child that is not her husband's, and, 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 and her, her husband now has been put to death by David on the front lines, the battle lines, and Uriah's gone, and Bathsheba is grieving, and David, after that time of grieving, takes her home as, as his wife, and, and you're thinking, okay, David's confessing his sin, and, and everything's going to be fine, and, and you know what? That baby dies. There's a consequence to this. There's, there's a reminder that this is a deadly offense. And we won't get into all the theological ramifications. Well, what did the baby do? No, no, that's not where we're going today. But in the midst of this situation, God is working a situation out for David that is not a quick fix. David's life is not going to be wonderful. David's life is not going to be easy. There's a new reality. And yet, despite the circumstance... God is going to continue to remind him on the heart level and the mind and the soul level that God is a God who washes. God is a God who cleanses. God is a, a Savior who refreshes. We see this. I love this, this verse. I turn to it. In Hebrews 9, how much more than will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Did you catch this? He doesn't say cleanse our circumstances. No, it says cleanse our consciousness. In other words, the guilt and the shame that burden us, God lifts that off of us so that no matter where we are, no matter what kind of sludge we still relate to or face in this broken, fallen world, our God gives us a witness through our testimony of being cleansed and refreshed in the presence of Almighty God, a Savior who comes exactly to do that, to bring about the ability to wade our way through sludge and the cesspools of our lives whether self-created or whether circumstantial that come our way as a result. And to give glory to God no matter what. 
to point with all that we are to the one who loves us and forgives us and saves us, the one who is there for us to refresh us today. Give an example of this. I have a friend of mine named Scott, and some years ago, Scott heard a message from a pastor who had spent some time in in a concentration camp. It was horrendous, this story that this man told. And when he talks about it, um, well, I'm just going to read what, what this pastor shared in his story. He said, My friends wonder what kind of work I did when I was in the labor camp that kept me healthy and sane. I answered them that life in the labor camp was very, very hard. The authorities in the camp put me to emptying the human waste cesspool. Most of the prisoners were afraid to approach the cesspool, but the authorities were aware of my background. I was well-educated. They knew I was a pastor and from a well-to-do family, and especially because they were atheists and I was a Christian leader, they put me to work in the cesspool of all places. They enjoyed putting me to work there as I shoveled human waste. But they didn't know that through the years that I spent there, how much I actually enjoyed it. You see, the cesspool was two meters in breadth. It it was two meters in length, filled with human waste, collected from the entire camp. Once it was full, the human waste was kept until it was ripe and then dug out and sent to the fields as fertilizer. Because the pit was so deep, I couldn't reach the bottom to empty it, so I had to walk into the disease-written mass and scoop out the successive layers of waste, all the time being forced to breathe the stench. The guards and other prisoners kept a a long way off because of the stench. Hang in there. I know this is rough. So why did I enjoy working there? I enjoyed the solitude. See, in the labor camp, all the prisoners normally were under strict surveillance. and No one could be left alone. But when I worked in the cesspool, I could be alone. I could pray to the Lord daily as loudly as I needed. I could recite scripture and no one would protest and I could sing loudly the hymns I remembered. And when I worked in the cesspool, I knew and discovered a wonderful fellowship with the Lord and I felt the Lord's presence with me. He never left me, nor did he forsake me. If you've been wading through the ugliness and the stench, could it be in this time could be one of the greatest moments for God to reveal his presence to you. To remind you, you aren't alone. And a God who has overcome. And if you want to talk about a God who can refresh and renew and redeem any situation, how about this one? So far we've heard a story about one man who falls into his outhouse pit and, and is all alone. We've heard about a man who works in a cesspool and finds his Lord is right there in the pit with him. But we've also learned about a David, King David, who while he's in the stench of his sin and up and over his head in the filth, calls out to God, could God possibly, some way, bring refreshment in the midst of that situation? What do you think? Why don't we open the Bible for closing thought on this? Open the Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1.
And you'll note, Matthew's gospel starts and says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, Jesus' family tree. Who, who would you expect to be found there? And it says, Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. We heard that in our Old Testament reading there in the almost sacrifice of Isaac, which was only looking ahead to the greater sacrifice. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and so on and so on and so on until you get to verse 6. And justly the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. Now, where's Solomon come from? Whose mother had been, say it with me, Uriah's wife. Now, many of you probably knew this, but brothers are like, are you kidding me? That God could take an adulterous, lie-filled, blasphemous relationship and redeem it and refresh it to actually bring about the lineage of the Messiah? And the answer is, yeah, <laughs> because that's how God works in the brokenness of our humanity and even in the midst of our sin, a God who redeems us and refreshes us, even in the cesspool. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for not leaving us alone here today. Maybe we come in with a great deal of guilt and shame and the stench and the ugliness of the stains in our life and, and being up to our necks in in the sass of, of what we've created or what our circumstances have brought about is overwhelming. And yet you are a God who enters right into the filth, into the ugliness of life as a Savior born even through the brokenness of a dysfunctional family. And yet, Lord, in spite of it all, it didn't stop your redeeming presence to come and bring the refreshment that our people, our, 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 our humanity needed as a Savior who would come and rescue us as one who gets down and dirty with us when you went to the cross and died in our place to rescue us and set us free. Lord, give us that joy that goes beyond circumstances. Give us the peace that goes beyond what we've done as we look to you and to your cross and a God who has brought victory here today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.